Welcome to Better Roads, a podcast with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Everyone has a story to their journey, and God loves to participate in those stories. Join Randall as he explores another Better Roads adventure. We're chatting today with missionary Drew Welch, and we're going to learn some things about what it's like to be a missionary. How does one know that God wants them to be a missionary and what's involved in that? Drew, we're really happy to have you with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Randall. Well, let's start off where we always want to start off. Talk to us about your family. Tell us about your family and where your home is in the U.S. Okay, well, I've been married for 18 years to my wonderful wife, Jessica, and we have three kids, Ian, who's 14, Kayla, who's 13, and Kirsten, who is 11. And we're currently living in Indianapolis, Pennsylvania, in my uh, mom's home, uh, although we did uh, pretty much establish our family in Pennsylvania. We were there for uh, almost 20 years before we uh, sold our house and transitioned to missionary work. Okay. So you're a Hoosier right now, though? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, how did, how did you come to know Christ as your Savior, Drew? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad grew up on the mission field. And so, you know, we had uh, devotions and things like that. Uh, um, I actually was a part of a Royal Rangers group, which is a Assemblies of God um, thing that they had for uh, young boys. And and I was down in Kingsville, Texas, uh, Texas, actually, at the time. And so I was at a Royal Ranger meeting, uh, got a little New Testament and accepted Christ into my life. But usually when I I share my testimony, I also share about when I rededicated my life to the Lord. So um, a few things with that. Um, So even though I grew up in a Christian home, um, you know, I had to, uh, um, let's just say my parents weren't always consistent in their faith, you know, growing Mm -hmm. up when they were, when they were doing well, I was doing well when they weren't doing so well you know, I wasn't doing so well. And so unfortunately, growing up a military kid and changing churches a lot, there wasn't a lot of consistency. And so in high school um, at 17, 18, I really ran from the Lord. And our whole family really considers that the dark times of our our family. My mom and dad were on the verge of divorce. And it was just really, really a mess. And uh, I'd really just gotten entangled with a lot of things of the world. I had issues with anger and lust and my language. And um you know, my mom and dad, um, in order to save their marriage, uh, my dad said, I'll do whatever it takes. And I uh, told my mom to make a list. And my mom put on the top of the list for our family to go back to church. And so here I am just totally in a rebellious state. Um, I knew God, you know, um, had some very unique encounters with God. God speaking to me as a young boy about an accident, just the presence of God you know, as I would lay on my bed and singing, singing to the Lord and his presence would just fill me, you know, so I knew of God, I had tasted of God, but uh, I, I had ran from God. So um, one morning, my dad comes down to my room and says, hey, we're going to church. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? Uh, I, I'm like, what are you kidding me? Like, but honestly, I was afraid of my dad. So um, I went to church and uh, when I was there, um, I actually was shaking. Uh, mm. At that time, I actually believe I was demonically um, oppressed, not possessed, but oppressed. Um, yes. 
And uh, I went, I had thoughts of going up and punching the pastor. I'm like, these bunch of hypocrites. Oh, wow. And, you, um, you had a lot of hostility going on I, there. I did. I did. And so, um, but it was about three Sundays before I was going off to college. And the third Sunday, I felt God kind of knocking at my heart, but I didn't want to repent in front of my parents. Um, so I went off to college, did the typical college thing my, my first semester, and then came back. And my family was still going to church. And again, it was about the third Sunday. And I knew I knew I needed to get right with God. And so, again, I didn't do it in front of my parents. I went to college and uh, um, uh, the church we ended up becoming a part of had a campus ministry. And that's where I went at that campus campus ministry. I almost got kicked out on my first meeting. And uh, maybe you don't belong here because I was a little contentious. And uh, anyway, uh, I knew God wasn't pleased with my lifestyle. I kind of liked it. But I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me. And it was there where I rededicated my life to the Lord, and the grace of God has has been there to help me to grow. And um, so that would have been in uh, February of 1998, and um, I've grown a lot since then. Wow, Drew, I just so celebrate and rejoice with you over that. See, I've never seen that side of you. I just thought you were always this really sweet-natured guy like you are right now. <laughs> but God has his ways, doesn't he? Yes, he does. <laughs> he redemptively pursued you all those years, and you knew who he was, but you just didn't want to yield to him. No, I didn't want to yield to it. And, um, you know, I had family members that would write me notes and have scriptures in there. And I wouldn't read them. I just throw them in a drawer. My parents got me uh, the Bible. I'm still reading now is about 80 bucks, a big study Bible. I'm like, I'd rather just have the 80 bucks, you know? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, after I rededicated my life to the Lord, you know, I was able to read through that Bible pretty quickly and I'm, it's the Bible I'm still using. So Amen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's powerful. Well, we're going to talk just in a little bit more about, how you know God called you to do what you're doing now as a missionary, but let's first of all let people know where you are a missionary and tell us about where that location is in the world and just tell us a little bit about where you're a missionary and what it's like there. Okay, well we're serving in Liberia, West Africa, which is on the um, Atlantic side of Africa, next door to Guinea, Sierra Leone, and, and Cote d'Ivoire. It's very tropical, about 80, to 80 degrees year-round and hot and humid. Um, it is an English-speaking country, but they have their own version, Liberian English, so it does take some uh, getting adjusted to. Um, if I had to summarize Liberia, uh, it's just a place of brokenness you know, on many levels. They had uh, almost 24 years of coups and civil wars that happened from 1980 to 2004, so they're still just trying to recover from that. Uh, Monrovia has multiple times been listed as the poorest capital city in the world and as a country usually listed in the top five poorest countries in the world. And so there's a lot of uh, economic challenges that are there. Um, from a religious standpoint, most of the country would consider themselves Christian, um, but it's, it's almost cultural to go to church. And uh, I would explain it kind of like a Pharisee or Sadducee kind of spirit where people attend church. It's like their social network. Mm -hmm. uh, who you know is kind of their safety net. And no. uh, but, uh, they, they really struggle with living out their faith. There's a lot of uh, spiritual immaturity uh, that's there. So that's kind of the nutshell of uh, what we're, we're dealing with there, just extreme poverty and um, spiritual immaturity uh, that is there. And to give people an idea, you said it's on the, it's West Africa, it's on the Atlantic side of the continent. Um, how, how do you get there? How long does it take to get there? 
we usually fly off the of the East Coast, and it's about seven or eight hours uh, through Europe. We've gone through Amsterdam or Brussels typically, and then it's another seven-hour flight uh, to Monrovia. Sometimes there's another stop um, in a neighboring country there like Sierra Leone. Um, but yeah, it usually takes us about 24 hours if we're flying out of New York or uh, D.C. Uh, so if you count in uh, driving to the airport and all that, you know, it, it can be kind of long. You are zonked by the time you get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you ha- you know, people, there are many people who call to become a missionary, but you are distinctive in that you have a special heritage and connection with the nation of Liberia. So could you tell us a little bit about that heritage and what your link is to Liberia? That's, it's a beautiful story. Okay. Well, my grandparents, Bob and Evelyn Welch, uh, served in Liberia from 1950 to 1977. And so um, I grew up, uh, you know, hearing all kinds of stories about Africa, uh, Liberia. My grandfather was a great man of faith, all kinds of testimonies of healing and dealing with witchcraft, uh, Gregory Bush, all kinds of uh, ritual types of things, and him trekking into these places and sharing the gospel. And uh, in some ways it was exciting, but in other ways it made me fearful of the idea of what is missions and like, where is God going to send me? You know, and honestly, uh, I was more concerned, you know, for my wife or for my kids, you know, going to someplace like that, you know, but, um, you know, my, my dad grew up in Liberia, my aunt Sherry, um, and my uncle Tom, who are missionaries in Guinea, also have had a, a lot of influence, you know, on us. But um, you know, uh, I knew in March of 2000 that God was, you know, calling me to church leadership, so to speak. Whether that was going to be pastoring or a missionary, whatever that you know may be. And I always just wanted it to be the Lord, clearly. And so, even though I had a rich heritage uh, in Africa. Um, and pastors in the States as well. I really wanted it to be God. So I didn't want to try and lead God. I'm willing to go wherever, China, South sure. America, wherever. And so um, <laughs> the church that we got planted into really believes in uh, the prophetic and, and listening to the Lord. And, and um, we had, our story really is one of, of God's direction and, and vision and confirmation in so many different ways that I could share about. Um, but uh the church that we got planted in, um, I felt the Lord tell me that I was supposed to submit, you know, to my pastor. And I knew I knew it was God because I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear <laughs> you're supposed to submit to somebody, you know. And um, so I went into the pastor's office and I said, I'm tired of wrestling with this. I wrestled with it for about six months. I said, I don't know if it just means I don't question anything. I just do whatever you say. But I told I told my pastor, I said, I will not leave this church without your blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, basically saying that I'm willing to uh, allow God to speak also through the leadership to confirm, you know, the timing of the Lord in my life and, and, and all of that. And so, um, so they encouraged us to, you know, serve um, in the church uh, there. We learned how to um, surrender uh, our vision, our dreams, you know, to where we were currently, but it wasn't, it wasn't always easy. It really wasn't easy. Um, But uh, eventually, uh, some of the Liberians that had fled the country um, have had they had become American citizens in the U.S. and they formed a separate nonprofit. And sometimes we would fellowship with them at a reunion. 
Um, and um, it happened that in 2014, they had asked me to come on as a board member. And so um, I submitted that to my pastor and he said, yeah, I think this is the Lord. And so um, I ended up going on my first trip to Liberia in 2015. Jessica came along with me in 2016. And um, we were just really, you know, seeking confirmation, you know, from the Lord. What do we do? Um, I was a teacher at the time um, and I had my summers off. So do we just kind of continue to do that, um, you know, teaching during the year and going during the summer? But uh, really just divine providence. Um, in 2016, Vince McCarty, our director of global missions, um, after I was a board member with the other nonprofit, uh, he wanted to go to Liberia. Uh, with us. You want to come with us. And the dates that he proposed, actually, we were already going to be in country in that time. And uh, we didn't even think it was going to be possible for us to um, be a missionary through Open Bible because they had nationalized the church in 1980. And uh, But uh, Vince was like, no, we can, you know, we'll, we'll continue to pray about it. But we have another type of position, missionary at large, and seeing the needs that were on the ground. There's a need to have missionaries go back and help them to, you know, reestablish. And so, um, we went back to our, our pastors and just telling them where we were at and what was going on. And, and um, the, the pastor's wife, her name's Lynn, um, had a vision from the Lord. And uh, she saw us like a point guard on a basketball team. And we're going to be working with different groups and, and organizations. And uh, basically, that um, was after our trip, August 2016, they said, you have our blessing. This is the Lord. And it was a long wait, almost 14 years where I had vowed, said, I will not leave without your blessing. And then they gave their blessing and, and uh, here we are, we're, we're off and running. Um, yes. even, let me back up just a little bit. Um, I mean, I knew in 2000 and it was a long road uh, to wait. You know, there was times I felt like God had forgotten about me and all that. But there was one time when uh, I had been fasting and praying and uh, I had gone to the altar and the pastors encouraged me to follow through with what I felt the Lord was telling me. And that was to go and see my grandfather and just talk with him. And, and um, he was in the hospital and he took his forehead, laid his forehead on my forehead and prayed a prayer like an Elijah to an Elisha type mm. of moment. And I held really? on to that. I wow. held on to that. And then later it was at a conference where the Lord brought it to my remembrance at about three o'clock in the morning and kind of gave me a vision of uh, what was going to happen in Liberia, a time of rebuilding, um, kind of digging up the wells. And then there was going to be a time of expansion looking at, uh, I was reading in Second Kings at the time. But anyway, it's uh, amazing to see, you know, how the Lord uh, directs our steps. And uh, uh, so here we are, you know, we've been in Liberia now uh, since 2017 and uh, continue to serve there. You know, oh, I, I knew your grandparents well, Bob and Evelyn Welch, and uh, several people in my generation, when we were young in church, we all have great memories of when they would come itinerating through it. And almost all of us can say the same thing. The thing we always look forward to was when your grandpa would roll out this big snakeskin and he had this dried snakeskin. It was a roll. He would roll that thing out. We had to all go up and look and touch that. And it was a powerful impact uh, for all of us. And I remember both of them, their passionate love for the Lord. And to hear about you say how he just pressed his forehead against yours. That was uh, like an impartation that's powerful. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you, you referred to a vision. Did you, did you recall something about a vision having to do with dead bodies? Uh, 
So, yeah, I had a vision a long time ago, I think it was around 2005, where I saw a pile of, of dead bodies. They were black bodies. And off to the side was a child. And I had knelt down and I was wiping tears away from this, this child's face. And um, I didn't necessarily know what that, that meant, you know, at the time. And I never really shared that with anyone until I was at a, a conference here in the States with the librarians. And uh, I shared that. And a couple of the men that were there that are now pastors, um, they had started a singing group in Liberia to encourage the people as they were running um, into the bush. Um, and they said that they had come across, you know, piles of dead bodies like that. And uh, they, they said that was from the Lord. So there was a little bit of a confirmation, uh, you know, that was there with that. And that's really a lot of what, uh, you know, we're, we're doing. I would say there's a compassion from God, you know, from God for these people. And, um, you know, God wants to wipe away tears. And that's, that's, a power, that's part of how God is using us there. Amen. Amen. Drew, you've, you've uh, frequently, as you've talked today, you've talked about we and our, you know, in the plural. Obviously, you and Jessica are very much together in this, or you couldn't be doing what you're doing. But I'm wondering about, you know, at what point did, did you actually share with Jessica about Liberia and going to Liberia? Can you take us to that, that point of interaction and how did she respond to that? What took place there? Well, I would say, you know, even before we got married, um, we knew that there was a call on our lives. And so it wasn't like this big shocker that, you know, whether it was to pastor or missionary life or whatever, that wasn't a real shock. We just really wanted it to be the Lord. And, and um, you know, um, I, didn't, I didn't share earlier, but it was really a key event that happened in our lives was uh, my wife having a stroke when she was 31. And uh, dealing dealing with that, and actually that was the the door that that opened and uh, or changed the seasons. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, I was kind of afraid of where God might send me. You know, where would my <laughs> wife be, or oh, where am yes. I taking my wife? Where am I taking my kids? And just yeah. from the stories of my grandparents, you know, and sure. when my wife's life was in danger, it was when I placed my family in God's hands that God spoke and said, "The seasons are getting ready to change in your life." And so in the midst of the squeezing, in the midst of the trial, that's when the change came, that I was withholding from God, you know, the, the, of wanting to protect, which is maybe honorable, protect my wife or protect my kids or whatever, but not trusting God with my family. I was willing to go kind of, you yeah. know, commando, Navy SEAL, let's go, let's get it done. Yeah. Yeah. But where am I taking my wife and, and my kids? And so, you know, it's interesting because my wife had at that same time and said, the Lord told me you're going you're gonna to be coming and going. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. We're going to be coming and going. And then later, um, she felt like the glory cloud was moving. She's the one that came to me and said, okay. if we stay here, it's going to be sin. God is, oh. God is moving us. Yeah. And so she also had a piece about it. And long time ago in 2002, we went through presbytery where we have two or three seasoned prophets that pray over our lives. And they said that a key would be that we would know his time when we were in agreement. And over the years, maybe time, I'm like, I'm ready to go. She's like, no, it's not time. And she'd be like, she'd be like, you know, she's ready to go. But I'm like, no, it's not time. So that was just another confirmation. And that season of, of growing and learning to hear the voice of the Lord was also key for us. And um, actually, prophetically, I said, it'll save our lives. We need to learn to hear the voice of the Lord. 
it'll be a safe, it'll be a safety to us. And instead of going to the left, we'll be going to the right and there'll be someone to share with. There'll be someone to witness to. And so we don't take that lightly. We put a lot of stock no, on really no. praying, waiting upon the Lord and want to hear mm-hmm. from him. And I know we can get a little kooky as Pentecostals and, and uh, might scare, you know, a few people off. Um, and we've, we've been taught real well, you know, as far as, you know, um, judging prophecy and accountability sure, and things sure. like and things like that. Right. And, but, uh, you know, um, so my wife was on board, you know, it wasn't comfortable for her. Uh, definitely. She's more of a routine kind of person. She liked my, you know, teaching, um, you know, hours and coming home and having evenings and always having holidays. And, and so she's really, well, she been takes care stretched. of the nest. She's, she's the mama. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's really been stretched and it hasn't, you know, been easy over the years because our family's totally opposite all over the world and military and moving and her whole, yeah. like she grew up in the same house her whole life. And so Sure. Uh, pretty much. So it, that was a little bit of a challenge, but she knew it was the Lord and there was a, a confirmation, you know, that was there. So so you, you mentioned, uh, Drew, that uh, one of the areas that was a turning point for you was when you when Jessica was in danger. You weren't talking, talking about being in Liberia in danger. No, that was here in the States. We had um, we were both runners in college. That's how we met at a team Bible study. And, uh, you know, we had um, our three kids pretty close together and we had started training, doing some mountain trail races together. And it was about a week later after doing a 16 mile mountain race that she had her had her stroke. And um, it's been a long road, uh, about eight years of her really dealing with migraines and issues with that. Uh, But praise be to God, the last uh, year and a half or so, uh, she's been mostly pain-free. So we, we thank Amen. God for that. And, and, and how old was she when she had that stroke? She Drew? was 31, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow, 31. And so um, that was a real test, but it was when the Lord gave you a release at the same time. That's you know what's powerful. crazy? You know what's crazy is actually that was prophesied over us as well, that there would be family that would come forth, and they were going to go through a major squeezing, and then mm. ministry would be birthed. Wow. So... How old were your kids then when you were making this decision? To go to Liberia? Yeah. Um, let's see, 2017, so about three three years ago now, uh, maybe four, so like nine, eight, seven. Okay, so um, we learned about your story and uh, how it went with you in terms of the Lord. So here you have your kids this age, and you and Jessica are announcing to them we're going to be missionaries to Liberia. How's that work with them? How did that work with them? You know, it's never easy to leave what you've known, you know, to leave our church uh, family there in Pennsylvania. And uh, they were a part of a homeschool group. And, but, you know, we had, you know, in our family devotions, always talked about listening and following the Lord and, and all that. So they weren't really surprised. And we had some, um, we, we knew the seasons were changing. We prepared for about two or three years for God to really make clear, you know, the direction that we were going to go. But so it, it, it wasn't a shock. It wasn't a shock to them. Um, and they've, they've really you know, been on board with it. There's some, some challenges leaving behind the things you love. My daughter has really fallen in love with horses, you know, so uh-huh. she, there's no horses in Liberia. I was going to say, I don't remember seeing any pictures of horses in Liberia. <laughs> no, no. You know, so those things are, are tough. Um, Ian left football. You know, he was in a actually a Christian organization football league. So, but, you know, he's taken that pretty well over there. They play soccer, football, mm-hmm. but uh, sure. not quite the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
and they're and they're involved with you in ministry, aren't they? Yeah, you know, um, we view uh, you know parenting as making disciples, you know, and so from the beginning, it's really been to raise them up and, and train them to to be able to serve, you know, regardless of their age. And they had to grow up quick uh, with my wife not being able to do a whole lot. My kids, you know, <laughs> oftentimes were doing their homeschool work, um, even as kindergarten, first, second grade. And they would tell mom to go lay down because she had so much head pain, couldn't handle light or whatever. And uh, my kids were doing dishes. They started doing their own laundry at a young age. And that may sound harsh. Um, I mean, we did have a lot of help from our church and family, but um, they really learned to take on responsibility from an early age. And, um, you know, we've we've tried to model for them, you know, what it looks like, you know, uh, as a married Christian mm-hmm. couple or individually, our walk mm-hmm. with the Lord and, uh, you know, really preparing them to know what they believe, you know, and uh, thank God for my wife, you know, just faithful with devotions over the years. And so. Um, you know, God's, God's been faithful. God's been faithful, you know, and, and working in my kids' hearts. You know, they've already read through the Bible a few times. We've gone through the We Believe doctrinal right. book with them in our devotions. Right. And when we were in Liberia, I was doing a lot of administrative tasks. And uh, uh, my kids were like, we want to we do something. So our kids like, can we have a Bible study? Can we invite the kids up from the school to come down to do a, uh, a Bible study on our front porch? And like, sure. So they actually, it didn't, it didn't originate with us. It originated with my kids. They were the ones that organized it. And there was a little bit of a learning curve of managing, you know, might have five kids to 30 kids show up and my kids are still kids, you know, Sure. And yeah, uh, yeah. we kind of from a Lynx view, you know, try to monitor and keep an eye, you know, on things, but really it was them. And occasionally they would come to us and, and ask us questions or do you have any ideas about this or an illustration or um, but it's, t- it's totally my, my kids. We just try to support them with that and, uh, be within earshot to make sure there's nothing crazy going on or strange, or, you know, but, <laughs> but they're, yeah. they're reaching a generation that you wouldn't reach in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the kids are actually have been inspired. There's a, a girl up in the interior of Liberia. She came to visit, um, for a few days and she's like, I want to do this. I want to do this back there. So, and I know she has been actually with a group of friends and they started a Bible study in Riverses where the, the mission station is. So you, you, your, your family, you're all involved in ministry. You're making relationships with people. Uh, and yet we also know, you said Liberia has had a tough history of over several years of many revolutions, a lot of fighting uh, people there all verified that what you saw in your vision, there were, piles of dead bodies. They'd seen that happen there. Uh, some horrendous things have taken place. Civil war in Liberia. Uh, how do you, do you worry about your family's safety while you're there? I mean, you said you would have been happy to go on your own and you would have been like special ops kind of guy. You take it all on, but you got a family there. What? Tell me how you process all of that. Yeah. You know, for the most part, uh, we're not really in danger. There's a lot of religious liberty that's in Liberia, unlike some other Muslim, um, you know, places in around that area, Mauritania, you know, some of those places like that, you know. Um, it's mostly on um, the economic side of things, the poverty that, you know, there's theft or there, you know, mugging or something like that. We typically don't drive at night. We try to be home. One, because a lot of their vehicles don't have lights and motorcycles don't have lights. So they're weaving mm-hmm. in and out and and whatever, but uh, um, we really haven't been threatened too much um, outside of, Ian's been grabbed a couple times 
and uh, not too far from our house, actually, um, when there were some things going on in the States, some of the Liberians were also watching the news and, and they thought it, they needed to retaliate. And since we were white skinned, um, you know, but other than that, you know, we really haven't been threatened, but we do take precaution. So as you um, carry this vision for Liberia and your family's all involved, what are some of your biggest ministry needs? What are your, what's your vision look like? What's, what are the projects and priorities that you're working on, Drew? Well, um, we used the letters of Liberia kind of as an acronym when we were sharing and itinerating. Um, and so I have a Liberia roadmap, actually, of ministry. And the L is dealing with leadership. Uh, the, the missionaries that were in Liberia before, um, they had established Bible training, Bible school, and the leaders were very, very well prepared. But after the civil wars and coups and all that, and um, there's been a lot of mixture. Uh, our pastors have just tried to get any sort of you know biblical training that they could, and so different denominational views, doctrinal views, that has brought some challenges within uh, the Open Bible Standard churches there. So one of the things we want to do is establish our own. Um, you know, theological training for our pastors. And that's something that we're working on. We've been bringing in stay and they also have a few other um, programs that they're using that are a little more uh, based in African culture. Um, but we're, we're trying to uh, make sure that our pastors are equipped to lead, you know, and to make disciples. There's been a, um, a generation gap you know, between those that were trained by the former missionaries and where we are now. It was 40 years, actually, to the year from the time my grandparents left until we were approved as missionaries in Liberia. 40 years, yeah. wow. Yeah. So, so that's one That's one aspect of it. And then, uh -huh. you know, we're trying to help restore some buildings that were burned down, things like that. Um, yeah, education is another big one. They didn't have education in the country for 14 years. And so we're, we're actually trying to establish a school system right now amongst all of our open Bible standard churches uh, to work on our curriculum and other needs like that. But one of our main focuses as a family has been on the Legacy Learning Center. And it'll be uh, trying to address the literacy. More than 50% of the adults in Liberia are considered illiterate. And so out of legacy, um, we're going to also do school readiness, kind of like a preschool program. And we'll be doing some workshops there for pastors, teachers. Um, there's already uh, Bible studies that are taking place that will become a church plant. We've been discussing that with uh, another pastor in country. Uh, but so a lot of our daily ministry as a family, when we uh, return, will will be at the Legacy Learning Center. And then I will continue to serve alongside of the executive board and general board, dealing with some of the administrative uh, things uh, uh, at the national level. So there are many, many things you're dealing with here. And I can only wonder with you know, the price a nation pays for that level of illiteracy. So really deeply appreciate what you're doing to minister to their needs there. So if people want to support the many things that you have going on, of course, they can go to openbible.org and we have a mission venture pay, uh, a venture, vision, mission venture plan page where they can support you financially and your various needs. But also, I know you want prayer support. How would you like people to pray? Uh, we always, you know, share just how important it really is to pray. It can be uh, the thing to say, let's pray, right? But um, 
there's plenty of ways that people can donate, but we really do believe that it's that's prayer that's going to break yokes. Um, there's a lot of uh, demonic strongholds that are there, traditionalism, tribalism, that is is brought into the church. And there's been strange doctrines that have come back from you know refugees, refugees from different countries and things. And so, really praying that there'll be a clear revelation of who Jesus is. Um, the religious spirits will be broken. Um, they kind of take on more of a smorgasbord, uh, you know, more of a polytheistic view, yes. I think, of, of life. Mm-hmm. They'll take the best from their tribalism, the best from the church, yes. you know, yes. whatever. And so kind of oh, there's a lot of mixture. Um, so really be praying for that. We we really need wisdom. That's another thing we really we, we ask people to pray for is wisdom. Nothing in Liberia is simple. And um, I usually don't like to get into it too much, you know, but it's kind of label it Liberia is broken. Um, but the stuff we deal with on a regular basis uh, is, is very, very challenging. There's a lot of history, people, events, places, and we don't want to give any glory to the devil, you know, with any of that, right. you know, and we're, 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 we are seeing the divine hand of God, seeing the favor of God with the leaders and the pastors that are there. And it's not something that's going to be uh, resolved overnight. You know, um, it's been uh, a long a long time, a lot of things have happened. And so we're working through those things with the national leaders. But seriously, we're, we're, we pray for wisdom a lot. Situations, there's always Amen. two sides of the story and, and yes. craziness. So, but Amen. as far as the projects and things uh, would go, we're establishing the Legacy Learning Center and want to use that, um, you know, as a, a model school, possibly a model church, not that we're perfect, but um, that they can see that it can be done differently. And uh, we felt it was really important to do that alongside of uh, Liberian. So we're kind of co-pastoring and, um, and they're, they're also the, the pastors we're partnering with are also involved in education. So my wife and I were both educators as well. And so it's a good, a good fit for us. But uh, yeah, there's uh, a lot. There's, there's a lot. Sure. Well, I, I know our listeners will be praying for you and I trust some will also go to that website to help out with some of those meeting some of those other needs uh, that the support could help as well. And, um, you know, you, you talked about your journey with us today. Really appreciate that. You know, both of you and Jessica were educators and you look back on your lives, you see how God has sovereignly guided you uh, even through those times when maybe you didn't want to go to church, you were rebelling against God. And one of the things we like to talk about in this podcast through Better Roads is the choices that we make. There are some choices we make that are lousy. There are some that we're so thankful for, the redemptive grace of God, you know, in our lives. And there are some roads that we choose that really it's God's divine assignment. You've been sharing some of that with us today that God revealed to you what to do. But there are other kinds of decisions, the roads that we take that are really elective. We have great latitude. Some of them maybe neutral, some of them not very good for us, but there are some roads that when we look back in life, we say, well, God, I'm so thankful I chose to take that road because that's made such a huge difference in terms of who I am and what I can do today. You have some better roads like that that you could identify for us in the life of Drew Welch? Yeah, you know, I would say first, um, God, God gave me opportunities. He gave me ways out. You know, when I was running from God and, um, you know, I flat out rejected him. 
you know, um, whether it was a note, you know, whatever my, my, my uh, grandmother on the other side actually had a vision of a dark cloud coming over my, over my life. And, and, uh, it was like the only time I think she called me in college and uh, I rejected it. I knew it was God. It was so right on. I'm like, wow. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I rejected it. You know, I, I kept running from God and, you know, but uh, I'm just thankful that uh, I know my grandparents didn't give up on me. You know, God didn't give up on me. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, he had made a deposit in my life, in my heart. And, um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, I did rededicate my life to the Lord and um, I did have about six months. It went pretty well. And then I kind of backslid gradually. And then I really confirmed that in 99. And again, I was just overwhelmed by the grace of God. I knew better. I knew better. And mm-hmm. probably one of my uh, life verses uh, that I've um, hung on to, you know, um, is in Titus chapter 2. In verse 11, where it says, For the grace of God has appeared to all men to teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. And, and just how that grace of God works in us. And when I had rededicated my life to the Lord, all the mess that I was in, I was like, why doesn't God just surgically remove this? You know, the <laughs> anger, the lust, the language is just Take it be away. gone. But that, yes. that that wasn't how it worked. You know, God changed mm-hmm. my heart to want to do what was right. But I had to walk it out and really learn to accept his grace, you know, and accept his love. And I was just so astonished, you know, um, just how quick he was to return to me when I returned to him, you know. And um, when I felt the call of God on my life, I was ready to go. March of 2000, I was ready to drop out. I was ready to go to Bible school. I was looking at Eugene at the time. And and, um, Mm -hmm. the counsel that I received from two different pastors was finish my degree and go to seminary. And so that's what I did, but it, it, it killed me. I didn't want to study health sciences anymore. I just wanted to read my Bible, you know? And, um, you know, um, our pastors, like we want to, we'll raise you up within the church and, and, uh, what can you do in the meantime to support your family until the Lord releases you, you know, fully into your call? And well, my wife was a teacher. I said, maybe I'll go back and, and be a teacher as well. And, and we'll have the same days off summers for ministry or whatever. And, um, I really didn't want to do that. And it honestly, it ripped my heart out. I mean, I just wept and, uh, but I'm, I'm thankful that I listened to counsel. And I'm, I'm, I, as I look back, those 14 years was a long time and uh, actually went through a major depression at 30 that God's forgotten about me. And because um, I kind of always lived in the in like, well, maybe it's going to be this year. Maybe it's going to be this year. Maybe it's going to be this year. Did that for 10 years, you know, and it just seemed like, oh, I'm, I'm just serving in the church, not going anywhere. Not, nothing's happening, you know. And um, but, uh, you know, I had to die. I think, you know, to some of the, the vision, the dream God was working in my life, getting some of the stubborn, rebellious side out of me, you know. And uh, but when Jesus is Lord, when we sign on the line, you know, dotted line, so to speak, um, you know, I believe our testimony is evident that, you know, he, evidence that he's able to lead and he's able to direct. And he's done that in so many ways. He's done it in so many ways. And um, so, yes, you know, we believe God opened the door to Liberia. Um, it's not easy there, but I like to say that we have a confidence that that's where he's called us. If we didn't have that, if we didn't have that confidence, we probably had already have left. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's a lot of things are messy. A lot of things are messy. And learning to hear the voice of the Lord, you know, through all of that is key. You know, that um, we had another prophetic word, multiple, the, of kind of being like a frontliner in a desert place and needing to hear from God and and the safety that comes with that, you know. And uh, so, you know, uh, I, could, I, could, I could share a lot about how God has spoken directly in different ways. But, um, you know... Um, as I say, you know, when we follow God, he's, he's going to provide, you know, and uh, um, open Bible has been so great, you know, to us. One of the things I had to overcome was leaving my job and I've always wanted to kind of do things myself and, um, and to humble myself, to allow other people to be a part of what God was doing. God revealed to me, he would show me his love through that and tear down some walls in my life. And so I'm thankful that we've stepped out you know, Amen. on these roads, better roads and, and, uh, kind of getting out of the boat and, and, That's uh, right. seeing what he's going to do. Amen. I, I, what a powerful testimony, Drew. You know, oftentimes things have to die before a new life comes. And that's what you're saying. You're saying you had to let some things die and then new life. And I'm so thankful for God's grace in your life and for your submission to him. And it, you know, I've been thinking as you shared this, that perhaps, this is for someone else today. You said, God hasn't given up on you. He never gave up on you, Drew. And there's someone else listening today that needs to hear this. God has not given up on you either. So Amen. thank you for joining with us uh, today, Joe, uh, Drew, and sharing your testimony. And may the Lord bless you richly in Liberia. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us also on this issue of Better Roads. We ask that you join with us next time as well. Have a great day. You have been listening to Better Roads with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Join us next time as we explore how God is part of another person's journey.